Well, this certainly was not our first hiatus we ever took on the Building Optimal podcast, but it was a doozy. Even the hiatus took a hiatus. We're back now. That's the important thing. In case you wonder what's been going on, basically after four years of doing the podcast, I felt like it needed some new life, a makeover of sorts. There's only so much you can talk about the nuts and bolts of home building without starting to repeat yourself. And I felt like I was brushing up against that point. Over these first 90 plus episodes, we've built up a solid library people can use to build and grow their business and to avoid a lot of the common mistakes so many others make. And I'm proud of that knowledge, actionable knowledge from some of the industry's best builders and top minds that we have available for any and all. That was the goal of the podcast. But now I want to take things on a slightly different trajectory. I want to explore where we go from here as an industry and us as key players and leaders in that industry. The goal, just as in our first four years, will be to find actionable emerging opportunities for you and I as entrepreneurs who are always looking to grow to contribute more and to get more. And at the risk of sounding dramatic for a moment, our world of building and construction is at a crossroads. Disruptive technologies like prefab housing, 3D printing, robotics, AI, they're at and nearing a tipping point. And with that comes both challenges and opportunities. Meanwhile, we have major societal and environmental issues unfolding across our country and the planet. Housing affordability issues continue to balloon. The middle class continues to shrink. Advancing climate issues threaten the safety and prosperity of our children and theirs. So I believe now is a great time to enter the discussion, to advance it in whatever way we can contribute and to find transformative growth for our businesses while addressing some quickly advancing challenges that have shown up on our doorstep already knocking not so lightly. So starting in the next few episodes, I'll be interviewing game changers and thought leaders who are disrupting our industry. We'll be looking into new ideas that can unlock massive value to the public and maybe also to the innovative builders who adopt them. For old and new listeners alike, thank you for your support and listening. It does make this podcast worth doing. And I hope this next chapter of Building Optimal can also offer the same to each of you who want to seize it. And now, with that weighty conversation out of the way, I'd like to tee up today's interview with the brilliant and ever so entertaining Mark Sprague. I've known Mark for almost a decade. I've listened to many of his market presentations over those years. He's probably the best known real estate market analyst in Austin and really across Texas for that matter. If there is some sort of luncheon transpiring in Texas with the word forecast in it, you can pretty much rest assured you'll see Mark's face as the headliner. Mark is the state director of information capital for Independence Title. And his forecasts are always a hit, not to mention quite accurate. He does not mince his words, and he does not play it safe with the politically correct answers. I think that's part of his appeal. 
in this short 20-ish minute episode, we visit about the state and outlook of the market primarily for Austin and Texas. Sorry, my out-of-state friends. But I would say about 25% of the discussion applies nationally. Enjoy, and thank you for listening. Before we begin, I would be remiss without a quick thanks to three very important Building Optimal partners. First, to Lowe's and their MVPs Pro Rewards and Partnership Program, of which my own company is a very proud member with exclusive benefits and offers like e-gift cards and in-store freebies. Lowe's is a true partner, enabling contractors like you and me to succeed. Second, to Ram Windows made right here in the Lone Star State. I use Ram Windows on every home and I love everything about the windows they make and what that company stands for. And last but certainly not least to Subzero Wolf Cove, the premier appliance company in the world, which we use exclusively in our homes. We are thankful for the support of these wonderful companies, which help make this podcast a reality. All right. So there's obviously a lot of talk amongst media outlets, et cetera, about the state of the economy, state of the housing market. When I reached out to you last week, I said, I feel like we need help separating signal from, from noise. And I think that's a good place to jump off here. I mean, what, what's really happening, do you think, on a, like a, a macro scale? On a macro scale, people are saying there's uncertainty and there's no uncertainty. I'm going to tell you right now, rates will go up because we're trying to slow down inflation. Inflation is at 8%, which is not healthy. And the Fed would like to see it around 2%. Why am I sharing this? And you go, well, I really don't care about that. I am certain that values of homes and apartments and office buildings will continue to go up in Austin because we just don't have enough inventory. Uh, will they go up as aggressively as they have the last two or three years? No, but they'll continue to go up where it's other places in the nation I believe have had some appreciation. They didn't have job creation. The good news is, is our pipeline is full. We had 418, 418 corporate visits last 12 months. Um, we, during COVID 2020, we had two large job announcements. No other, I follow because of what we do nationally. I follow other cities. No other cities had those announcements. Who, who tracks that 418 stat? I'm just curious. Uh, Chamber. Okay. Wow. So that's the official yeah. uh, number. And our chambers did a phenomenal job with Opportunity Austin of recruiting. 2000, we had a crash. They said we're not going to focus on a high tech entirely. And so it's been a much more wider net. Um, and what makes Austin attractive? We're the fifth highest educated marketplace metro in the nation. Uh, number one's Washington, D.C., so being educated doesn't make you smart, apparently. <laughs> Number two is going to be um, Boston. Yeah. And then you got three San Jose, San Francisco, and Austin. We also have a high German, Hispanic, Asian work ethic. And people go, do people really look for that? I said, corporations do all, the, all, all day long because you want that strong work ethic. You want people working past six, seven at night. And people go, 
Well, that I said that's capitalism, and that's what you want when you're looking for a workforce, whether it's your framers and plumbers, or whether it's your guys that are inventing new ways to talk. You know, AI, robotics. By the way, we're the center of robotics in the world now during COVID, so that's been interesting to watch. Well, yeah, I mean, there's so much growth. Obviously, Tesla, Samsung factory, Oracle. I mean, we've got a lot of growth that's coming. And what I've taken from reading your your memos and your takes for all these years is that uh, job growth is one of the key metrics to be looking for for kind of the health of a local economy. How is population growth and I suppose correlated to that job growth tracking in that It's all good, Jared. And as he mentioned those names, one of the things I'm going to ask you, what's the largest job announcement in the last 10 years? And you mentioned some names there. And I'm going, those are not the answer. Yeah. You go, well, what's the answer? I said, the Army Futures Command. Army Futures Command only has 500 soldiers. And that's not who you're selling to. But last year, they spent $6.5 with 22 startups. Uh, they have to spend a minimum of three and a half billion, according to the bill. So you've got a giant Shark Tank downtown Austin. That's where the post wow. is, uh, and that's why Meta uh-huh. has thirty-three floors. Kind of a surprise. Uh, Amazon Computer Services will be the largest employer in Austin within seven to ten years. So when I say that, it, and it sounds like I'm a, a Mouthpiece for the chamber, I'm not, but again, I'm excited about it because when I look, uh, you've got all this growth pursuing this large, large defense contract, and it will continue to. So we'll continue to see these uh, companies come here, technology-wise, pursuing that business. And when I say uh, Amazon Computer Services, they already have five facilities, towers, out at the domain. Um and they will be the largest employer within seven to ten years. That's bigger than the state, university, or Dell Computer Systems. And what you can't see, audience, is he, Jared shaking his head no because he had no idea. <laughs> and most people don't because they don't follow this the way I do. And I'm humbled because I, I've i sat down with a lot of the business brokers and we have the discussions. Uh, I will tell you what you didn't share with your audience is normally when I'm introduced to you clients either by chambers or by my own company, they go, we love him. We think he's has tremendous information, but the opinions of Mark Sprague are those of Mark Sprague. <laughs> because if you ask me the right question, you know this, I'm not going to, I'm not going to screw around. I'm going to give you my opinion, Yeah. which at times the chamber kind of buries their head in their hands going, Oh, he's not Why wrong. Why did he say that? But, <laughs> Yeah. No, I've been at a few of those luncheons before. I've heard those comments come out. So Chamath Palihapitiya, the billionaire venture capitalist, he is on a podcast that I like to listen to. And he came out and made waves a few weeks ago saying something to paraphrase that basically over the last 14 years since 08, governments around the world started describing to this modern monetary theory, sort of printing all this money, quantitative easing, um, and printed something to the tune of like 30, 35 trillion. And what he feels like now is that, that he was calling it fake money, uh, that fake money, which that feels like a little bit of a stretch, but still that fake money that was printed that's in the system now needs to get reabsorbed. And basically that value needs to get destroyed. And when you look at that, 
and you you relate it to an eighty five trillion dollar a year global GDP, it feels like a, a massive monsoon that could be coming if what he's saying has any sort of validity to it. Where well, do you stand on that? Very valid point. And yes, forty five trillion hit in one year would be crippling. But that's not what he's talking about. We printed money. Uh, we had to print money in the United States. Most of Europe had to print money because we were at low, low rates. And there wasn't many tools in the central bank systems to prevent, not a recession, a depression. Uh, and so the printing of money was great. Also realize where he's coming from. He's a very wealthy man. If you take money out of the system, that makes all of his assets worth more. That makes all your and my assets worth more because we're taking money out of the system. I don't know that we'll, I think that genie's out of the bottle. I don't know that you can take that out of the system. I don't disagree with his statement. I, I think it's a brilliant statement, but it's sort of like Elon Musk saying, hey, Japan is not populating enough. They're not. So that's going to cause problems. And unfortunately, when you have statements like that, people will go, well, that's offensive and that's scary. And I'm going, yeah, but they have a point. It's a, a theoretical point, and it is something we need to think about. But do I think we ought to take $45 trillion out of the market tomorrow? Absolutely not. It would be mass chaos. Uh, but over if we do it over 10 years, but that's not going to happen because there is no global banker that's going to do that so i think that we just wait for appreciation to catch up to it but yes that is a very scary comment and it's very truthful i guess that obviously that asset inflation is tied into home prices which jumped across the country especially in post-covid what 2021 i think it was like close to 20 percent was that national average where home prices jumped i think from july 2020 or to july 2021 or something like that one of the things that I selfishly am interested in is, do you think that those gains, so if we're looking at if there has been any sort of kind of speculative or, or fake money that has propped up asset prices, do you feel like there's anything that was going to cause over the next year, there's 20% gains to reverse, and now we're going to be back to pre-COVID prices and millions of people underwater who just bought? Logical thinking, but... Your values are set by supply and demand. Because of 2004 to 2009 meltdown of too much money in the system being lent, um, we overbuilt, we overdeveloped. Uh, and when I say that, I'm not talking just about houses, apartments, offices, all types of developments. We have been learning that lesson the last 12 years. We are not lending like we used to. I, as a developer, former developer, I, as equity, you have to put 40 to 60% down on so many deals. I even have to do that, raise that. If, if um, technology comes to me, it still is a large amount down. You have to raise that money before you even begin talking to banks and guys that are going to lend to you in the future. We don't have enough product in Austin. We don't have enough product in Texas. We don't have enough product across the United States. We won't have enough product because of the amount of corporations that are coming here that are in the pipeline. Same thing in Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, I am concerned, as I've shared with you on a national basis, we had a lot of metros that saw appreciation and had no job creation. And I didn't realize that, but afterwards, as I'm looking at it, that's one of those where, like a dog, I kind of turn my head sideways and go, 
huh? <laughs> How does that work? And I, I don't mean that arrogantly, but it's one of those where you go, okay, some cities may have had a greater demand, whether a secondary or tertiary uh, purchases for people, or it just may have been run up because there wasn't as much lending. But I am concerned outside of Texas for a lot of the metros, and I'm not going to name them, but I, I am concerned. Here in Texas, we don't have enough inventory. Apartments are at 96.4% occupancy, have been for for the last five years. Uh, rents last year went up 7 to 28%, 28% downtown. But to my surprise, the second highest, and I expected downtown to be high, in, a, in rent appreciation, I did not expect Leander to be 22%. Really? You don't have enough product out in Leander, apartment product. And so that's why that happened. So, and people go, well, that's just crazy. And I'm going, is it? Rents are a lot cheaper. You drive to you qualify. That's always been true. So rents, if rents were a dollar and they went to $2, yeah, they went up. But it's that percentage. It's just like I hear on inventory right now. Uh, the media and others have called me and said, yeah, inventory's gone up 54%. And I go, you're doing what I do. You're lying with numbers, i.e. 54%. You're still under two months inventory. So if it, you had no inventory, you were under a month. And yeah, it's jumped. It seasonally jumps every year. So, but don't quote that to me because you're basically misleading the public by saying, oh my God, goodness, We've got all these listings. You still don't have enough listings. A buyer is not going to get a deal because there's not enough inventory. So on the rate point, I'm glad you brought that up. You recently wrote a memo that you put out and you said in that memo, higher rates have not stopped sales historically. Historically, it pauses the market for 60 to 90 days and then picks up on the other side. Does that mean that we're just... In a temporary lull before I believe buyers so. start entering the market again? Jared, I believe so. My my concern is, and I shared this with you when we were talking, if you're under 50, you have seen very gen- gentle rate raises and value raises, uh, uh, except for the last three years. That's great experience, but that goes away. Yeah. Because rates will go up. My bigger concern is slow inflation is that we're going to raise it possibly another half point before the end of the year. Two years ago, most analysts on Wall Street and myself said, we'll see rates go up. We can tell you exactly when, but we said 22, 23. At the end of 22, I believe that they'd be between 6 to 7%. And it's not about me being right at all. It's But I go, I shared with my management team, and I shared with our marketing team, I said, if I told you the future, would you change your behavior? And I normally just launch into numbers and trends. And you could see everybody like a dog going, huh? Where's he coming from? I said, this is all forecast. How many of you planned for it? Or how many of you dismissed it because I'm the conservative guy in the room? And you could see them looking at the floor and not looking at me. And I said, I don't fault you. I've been there. But I'm telling you, I think that we'll be at 7% by the end of the year. I thought it would probably end there. But because inflation is staying stubborn and staying at 8%. And I think we'll be here a while, Jared. And people go, How can, what are you basing that on? I said, we don't have enough labor in any arena. Therefore, we'll have to continue to pay more and more. A starting coder, computer coder, highest pay is in Austin right now, 
out of school, they make 180000 in Austin, Texas. Out of undergrad, $180,000. And that has gone dramatically up because there's not enough labor in that channel. And so I think we'll continue to see that. And, and don't be impressed by that. You're a builder. How much do you, does your plumber make a year? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and well, we have seen a little like, bit of wage inflation here in Austin. <laughs> but across the country, we have. Yeah. Because we don't have enough plumbers. We don't have enough electricians. We don't have enough coders. So I think inflation's here to stay, unfortunately. Probably someplace between 3 to 5%, I'm hoping. But I think we have inflation for a while because we don't have enough labor. And people go, well, what's the solution? I said, well, the ultimate solution is, is as a world, we have to have more babies. But starting going all the way back to Roman history, more educated society, the less babies you have. And I said, that's not a bad thing. But it's a bad thing for if you're less than 35 because your taxes, your maintenance on roads and such is going to be more expensive in the future. And because you don't have as many people paying, you can solve that by immigration, vetting the people properly and such. We're only letting in a million and a half. We used to let seven years ago, it was three and a half million. By the way, if you go to the patent office, 85 to 90% of all patents, world patents, came out of the United States from first-generation immigrants. So we've seen a shift where only 45% of those patents come out of the United States. So an economic shift on technology where it's gone over to Asia. And, unfortunately, Central Europe, East Europe, a lot of your top programmers are, unfortunately, Ukraine, Croatia, and Eastern Russia. You talk to any of your big guys on Wall Street, and that's where all the programming comes out of, which is in itself concerning with what's going on over there. Yeah. So you think one thing that would help ease up that inflation is is a immigration program that can bring over talent to help solve some of these and before you get any of you get offended out there that's what we did after world war one and two yeah. is we brought we wouldn't have the the uh, nasa without the germans well look we've been dealing with labor shortages here my own small business for years and years and 90 percent of the people who are swinging the hammer on our job sites are immigrant immigrants from latin america so i have wanted for years and years to somehow have some better immigration policy to allow more skilled labor to come over to help. Obviously, that's a pretty politically hot point, Well, but and, it would help us. And we, we Texans, think of Latin labor. 80% of your immigrants are Asian. And people go, I didn't know that. I said, well, why would you? Because you don't delve into the numbers that much. And I go back to something I said earlier. You want strong, Hispanic, German, Asian work ethic. They work harder than any other ethnicity. And yes, that's something. When I would do market studies for corporations, I would look at what the breakup was, uh, the ethnics, because you want a strong work ethic. Austin has that. That's where I, why IBM came here in the early 60s. And that's, yes, we have a high education level, but you and I go to Whole Foods or down the street at 7 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock at night, and people... All the tables are going to be full because people are working on their computers. They're charging somebody for that time. And I don't see that in Colorado Springs at 7 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock at night. Now, on a funny note, one of the things, uh, one of the guys that did market studies, an older man, he said, go to your bar, see when last call is. And if last call is at 9 o'clock, 
you don't have a strong work ethic in that city. If the last call is at 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, people are working longer. You know, it's one of those things when you first hear it, you go, are you, are you playing with me? Because I think you're playing with me right now. And they go, no, think about it. If they're working till 7, 8, 9 o'clock, and they want to go meet friends for drinks, Austin, New York, mm-hmm. Boston, uh, cities we're competing against have that high work ethic. Yeah. And by the way, what you didn't see is when I said go sit in bars to see. I'm not a drinker. Uh, to see when people, when that last call is, Jared just smiled from ear to ear. And, and yeah. again, the first time I heard that, I just went, are you, are you playing with me? Because I'm not a big drinker. All you got to do is look over my shoulder here for yes. my entire whiskey bar yes. behind me, which we should have cracked open. No. <laughs> Let's wrap this up with one question. I'm going to throw you a curveball. A lot of our listeners here in Texas, Austin, different cities in Texas, and I think you've probably put a good number of us at ease. We also have a good number across the country. Is there any sort of advice that you could give to anybody right now that could apply to the whole lot of us? On a national basis, and I'm going to tell you, I wasn't this way, I would be more conservative as you look at the next five years. Rates are going up. There's confusion, economic anxiety for your investors, so they're not going to be as patient. I've always believed to under-promise and over-deliver. So if I'm building in different markets, I will tell you that. I also am going to tell you, and you've known this for years, Jared, when you talk to me about a market slowing, is the first thing I look at is gross domestic product, see where your GDP is. Then I look at sales. And then I look at job creation. And if those th- three things, particularly job creation, GVP, aren't at a healthy number, I get concerned. And we have that close the door, behind the door meeting where I go, here's the issues I have in your marketplace. So GDP is going to be uh, important. Job growth is going to be important. And when I look at places like Chicago, where home starts are off 82% the last 12 years, where I look at Riverside, uh, Outside L.A., it's off 72%. When I look at Atlanta, 59%. couple things is I think you need to be careful in your building. Um, also, what's going to happen to all your retail sites? Because I go out to Barton Creek Mall or a mall enclosed, and they're 30 40% empty, yet I go out to where there's density, the domain, and it's, it's happening. I think we need to see greater density in our strip centers. But is lending going to get any easier? No, you've had 25% failure rate the last three years of businesses. So my advice is be conservative. Get your stuff pre-leased or pre-sold if you can, which you go, well, yeah, you make it sound like that's easy. I go, no, I understand it's not easy, but I think it's um, better to do up front rather than guess where the market's going presently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we're doing and that's what we're trying to impress upon our listeners as well as, is play it conservative. Make sure you always have enough cash in the bank and like what you just said, pre-sell when you can. So, all right. Well, Mark, thank you very much. 